Take your Bible, please, this morning and be turning to Genesis chapter 29 as we continue our series called He's Still Working on Me, the Life of Jacob. He's Still Working on Me, the Life of Jacob, Genesis chapter 29. I understand a children's Sunday school class was concerned about one of its members' mother. Uh, The mother was in the hospital, and so the teacher uh, very kindly suggested that they uh, sign a get well card. And she said to the boys and girls that, they, that she wanted her to, uh, wanted them to sign their names and then write a Bible verse after their name. I mean, what a what a kind gesture to get a card from a children's Sunday school class. Uh, get well. All the children sign their names. They put a Bible verse underneath. And so the children, as you can imagine, excitedly grabbed their Bibles. They began thumbing through, uh, trying to find a verse to write after their name. And one little boy, uh, he opened his Bible. He found the verse and he made the following selection. And he signed his name, and then he wrote after his name, Matthew 5, 26. Truly I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. (laughs) You know, the trials and troubles that we face in life, they seem like that at times, don't they? Seems like we can never get out of them because we just can't seem to pay the last penny. And it's really hard when you get in times that are tough like that and you're there because you followed God's will. You followed God's word. You're on the path that God chose for you. And yet you're still struggling. Uh, Maybe you've heard the name Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is an author. He was a pastor. Uh, If you ever come across any of his books at a thrift store at a yard, so they're usually very small paperbacks. I recommend any of his books to you. But Pastor Mary once uh, faced a terrible uh, crisis in his own life and he gathered himself into his study. He sat a long time uh, quietly praying, thinking. And as he's doing this in this midst of hard times, Andrew Murray, uh, his mind flew to the flew to the Lord and he wrote the following things in his journal. He wrote first. He brought me here. It is by his will that I'm in this straight place. In this fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. And then he wrote these words. Let me say I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. Let me say I'm here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his times. Those words could be written about Jacob as he finds himself living with his uncle Laban. Now, you remember the last time that we were together We begin looking here in Genesis chapter 29, and I talked to you about the fact that when a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of course their sin is forgiven, they're given peace, they're made a child of God, they're given a home in heaven, but God goes to work in our lives, and God enrolls us in His school. We said God's school is the school of maturity and uh, spiritual training. And His goal in this school, if you will, is to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I gave you two foundational passages that we're looking at here that we're building the life of Jacob upon. First of all, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 31. The Bible says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like who? Like his son. 
so that his son, that's Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And I pointed out to you, beloved, that the fact that we're in God's school, though it's challenging at times, it's a wonderful thing. Why? Because God is working to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, he has to bring discipline and correction into our lives. And I share with you Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Think about that. It's because he loves you is why he disciplines you. Just like you discipline your son or daughter because you love them. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own Children, who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. And so you have to think about that. If you're a believer and you live your whole life and you've been living for, let's say, 20 years and God's never brought in correction in your life and never really disciplined your life, you might want to stop and say, well, wait a minute. Is that really good news? Because God says in his word that if I'm truly his child, he's going to discipline me. That's not pleasant. Look at verse nine. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. And dads, would you agree with me? Sometimes that's all we can do. Just pray and do the best we can do. We don't know what to do. But this is our heavenly father. He's perfect. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline, and we'd also amen to this, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And so today, with those two passages... Realizing that God is disciplining us, correcting us, he's molding us, he's shaping us, he has our good in mind, he's treating us like his own children, he's doing it out of a heart of love. Go back to Genesis 29, and we find that Jacob has met his match. And we said he met his match in two ways. First of all, he met his match in a wife. Actually, he got two wives, and we'll see more of that today. And then he finds his match in deceit or trickery or uh, conniving in his uncle Laban. Jacob's going to spend 20 years with Uncle Laban and this family. And this part of God's school of discipline maturity is going to last 20 years. Have you found, like I have, beloved, that while I'm often in a hurry, God isn't? You ever found that in your life? You're in a hurry, but God isn't in a hurry. God's not bound by time. God sees the end from the beginning. But we're the type of people we pray, well, God, give me patience and hurry up. But that's not the way God works. God works in his perfect timing. And it took 20 years of this going on, according to Genesis 31, 38. And so this part of God's curriculum lasts 20 years. And we pointed out there were two big lessons that came out of this. First of all, in God's school, we're going to have some thrilling times. We're going to have some thrilling times. Now, let me bring you up to speed at what happened last week. 
Jacob's been sent away from home. He's trying to be saved from his, uncle, his, uh, co- his uh, brother Esau. Esau wanted to kill him. And he's also been sent to find a wife. And he travels about 500 miles from his home place to Haran. And he gets there and God guided his steps. He was in the right place at the right time with the right people. And while he's there at this well, he speaks to people who knows his uncle. And while he's talking with them, Rachel, his uncle's daughter, actually walks up. She's the shepherdess. She brings the sheep. And we believe it was love at first sight. When he saw her, his heart was smitten. And it was a thrilling time. And it's always a thrilling time when you can look at your life and see that God's hand is evident. You know, he puts you at the right place at the right time with the right people. It's not just coincidence. It's providence. It's not just luck. It's God's guidance in your life. And it's thrilling. And God brings those times in our lives. We have thrilling times as believers. And this is the part of the curriculum that we love in God's school. This is recess and P.E. and lunch and snack and summer break all rolled into one. We love this part. But there's another part of the curriculum. We don't love it so much. Let me just tell you before I tell you the second part. This is not one time and another time. These things overlap. These things go on at the same time. But in God's school, we're not only going to have some thrilling times, we're also going to have some tough times. We're going to have some tough times. So these happy times and these hard times are woven together in our lives. That's why Romans 8, 28 is true. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And we have these tough times and these thrilling times and they overlap and God weaves into something beautiful. But we have tough times. Let's get into the passage and see some of these tough times for Jacob. He's been with his uncle Laban for about a month. Look at verse 14. I'm in Genesis 29, verse 14. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So here he is spending a month with his family. This is his mother's brother. He's smitten. He's madly in love with Rachel. He wants her as his wife. An interesting thing is what Uncle Laban says to him next. Now, remember, you think Jacob's a deceiver and a manipulator and a schemer and a conniver. Well, here's his match. I might even say here's his superior. Uncle Laban, look at verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, this seems so kind and generous, doesn't it? But listen, one thing that Laban is not is generous. This is perhaps a nice way for Uncle uh, Laban to say, Now listen, Jacob, you're my relative, but I want you to be my servant. (laughs) I want you to work for me. And at this point, we learn a little bit more about Laban's family. Verses 16 and 17. We know he has one daughter, but it says in verse 16, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Let me just stop for a moment. One of the most misunderstood, I think, and most disagreed upon phrases, maybe in the Bible at times, it seems, is that phrase that her eyes were delicate. And I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious there. But you'd be amazed at what people think that means. Her eyes were delicate. 
Some said, well, she had poor eyesight. Some said, well, that's a nice way of saying she's ugly. Uh, Some said, well, that's a way of saying that her eyes were not as radiant and as sparkling as they like in that part of the country. So her eyes were delicate. You name it. But when you read what it says about Leah, then you read what it says about Rachel. It says Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful. And it goes on to say of what? A form and appearance. So here's my interpretation. Here's how I understand this passage. Okay, this is this is from my take on it. Here's what he was saying as he wrote that Leah's all right, but Rachel's a knockout. Do you understand that? Everybody forgot that Leah's all right, but Rachel, she's a knockout. Now, Jacob had been there a month. He had fallen head over heels in love with Rachel And she was not just beauty with no brains, beloved. She was a shepherdess. You go back and read early in the chapter. When she walked up, it says she was a shepherdess that Jacob noticed her and the sheep. And it appears that maybe Jacob had thought about this thing because when Uncle Laban says, hey, you know, uh, you should work for me for nothing. What would your wages be? He didn't have to hem all around or think about it too long. In fact, he came up pretty quick with an answer. Verse 18 and 19. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Mm. That's love, beloved. Seven years. And Laban said in verse 19, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Let me give you a word of caution right here. Don't read our culture into theirs. This probably seems insulting to many of the ladies here today, probably all the ladies, this idea about him purchasing her by working and I'm a giver to you. But this is not our culture. This is not today. This was their culture far removed from us. This is the way things worked. Seven years of labor for the fair Rachel. Beloved, this was true love. How do you know it's true love, preacher? Well, look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. I mean, it appears that maybe he that seven years he he didn't actually touch the floor or the field. He just kind of floated. You ever watch that? You just remember back. Some of you got to think real long and hard. You got to clear the cobwebs and get through all the brush. And you think back in your mind to those days where you didn't walk. You floated from place to place just to see your beloved. Remember those days? Some of you are there right now. You're younger. Some of you are thinking, oh, well, one day you'll be there and we'll see you floating in the back, too. And you'll float. I love to watch it when the couples come to pre-marriage counseling. They don't come in. They float into the room. They hover there while we counsel and they float out. This was true love. But listen, this is where I said that these tough times and these thrilling times are woven together. Because he labored for seven years, and we're going to find out later he labored more. In fact, put your finger there. I want to show you that Laban was not an easy boss, and he was not an easy father-in-law. Turn to chapter 31 real quick. Put your finger there. Just turn a page or two. Chapter 31, verse 38. This is what Jacob says later on. We fast forward 20 years. I want you to see what he says about working for Laban. Genesis 31, 38. We'll read down to verse 42. Here's what Jacob says. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand. 
whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus, I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. And I pretty much guarantee it wasn't 10 raises there he's talking about. Verse 42 says, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the father of a fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now turn back. But it says what? The first seven years of that, they flew by like a few days. Why? Because it was true love. Jacob truly loved Rachel. Someone has said it's happiness consists of having someone to love, something to do and something to look forward to. Someone to love, something to do and something to look forward to. And Jacob had all three. And for seven years, he labors. And I don't think Uncle Laban kept up with the days. But you know who did keep up with the days? Jacob. And the day came. And he comes in verse 21. I'm back in chapter 29 now. 29, 21. Then Jacob said to Laban... Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Now, what we're about to read next is going to cause a lot of questions to surface in your mind. Questions like, um, where was Rachel? Did Leah willingly participate in what's about to happen? How could this happen? How in the world could this take place? And a lot of these questions that are going to rise to the surface here, we don't know the answers to, but I'll give you... Some help with it, I think. Number one, remember this. In that culture, in that day, the bride would have been heavily veiled. Heavily veiled. And number two, it was probably very dark. Okay? Maybe that will help you as I read the next verses. Verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took... Who's it say? Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, that is the marriage week, the celebration week. And we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he serveth Laban still another seven years. In other words, if I understand the passage correctly, in a matter of eight days, he got two wives and two maids in eight days. And if you can imagine, this is a recipe for trouble. Uh, this tops the best soap opera on, I think, today. We're going to see it as it unfolds in the weeks and days to come. Can you imagine the look on Jacob's face? When he rolls over that first morning to see his beloved, beautiful Rachel, and he sees weak-eyed Leah laying there. Leah! 
and he runs. Reminds me of a little boy who um, was talking to his father about what he learned at school. And uh, he said, our teacher told us that in India, the parents decide who their children are going to marry when they're still children. And he said, Dad, that means sometimes the man doesn't even know his future wife until the wedding day. And the father said, son, that happens all over the world, not just in India. I better move on before I get in trouble. There's a principle at work here that we need to understand. It's the principle of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And the nice thing is I preach to a country church and we all have a good grasp of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter six, verse seven says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. This works in our physical world. It works in the spiritual world. In the physical world, you sow potatoes, you get potatoes. You sow squash, you'll get squash. You sow cucumbers, you'll get cucumbers. Whatever you sow is what you reap. And you know that when it comes to sowing and reaping, praise the Lord, there's some other things that work there. First of all, you get what you sow, and that's a blessing, but you also get more than you sow. Aren't you glad about that? I know our farmers are. You get what you sow, you get uh, more than you sow, and you get it later than you sow. Depending upon the crop, depending upon what you're planting, that's how long it takes for it to come up and to be harvested. Now, that's true in the physical world. That's true in our literal world. But, beloved, we also know that sowing and reaping works in spiritual aspect as well. Remember, God is working on Jacob. He's correcting him. He's training him. He's disciplining him. He's improving him. He's making him more like Jesus. And I want you to look at what God allows to happen. Now, notice how I said that. God allows this to happen. God doesn't cause everything, but God allows things to come into our lives. He didn't cause Laban to be a wicked, scheming, deceiving man, but he allowed it to happen. And I want you to notice how this idea of sowing and reaping worked in Jacob's life. First of all, you remember that Jacob deceives his father and now Rachel's father deceives him. You remember, beloved, that Jacob pretended to be his brother Esau and now Leah pretended to be Rachel. You remember, beloved, that Jacob dressed in Esau's clothing and now Leah dressed in Rachel's wedding clothing. We see a principle at work here that he reaped what he had sown. And beloved, Jacob now understood what it felt like to be deceived by someone that he trusted. He knew what it felt like to be tricked. He knew what it felt like to lose something that was yours. He he knows what he's done in his own life. And now he has first hand experience of what that feels like and what that's all about. And God knew that these hard lessons were necessary. And they're lessons that Jacob needed to learn. Now, please don't get sidetracked at this point trying to figure out everything in this chapter. Yes, Jacob had two wives, but that doesn't mean it's right. Listen, just because God records something doesn't mean he condones it. He recorded the fall of Satan. He recorded sin. But we know he does not condone those things. This is what happened. Don't miss the whole garden here as you're looking for the weeds. 
God is at work in Jacob's life. He's not satisfied to have him in his scheming, manipulating ways. He's working to make him into Israel a prince with God. And God is using his school, his curriculum, some thrilling times and some tough times to do a work in Jacob's life. And beloved, both of them are a blessing. Can I just say to you today that the tough times and the thrilling times are both a blessing. Because they come with the permission of our loving Heavenly Father. I I read, I guess it's been a week or so ago, Charles Stanley's newest book. Charles Stanley's newest book, it's kind of like an autobiography. It's called Courageous Faith, My Story of Life and Obedience. Now, when you think of Charles Stanley, you probably think of tall Charles Stanley. He's there at First Baptist, the beautiful campus, First Baptist, Atlanta, Georgia. You see him on In Touch, and you think of Charles Stanley. But if you've never heard the story of how he got to that place... And where he started at and how all that worked out, you might be quite surprised. He talks about it in the book. He knew it was going to be tough going there. He went there as an associate pastor. He knew it was going to be tough going there. But I think he said it was ten times worse than he thought. But long story short, we know where he is today. But he made a statement in the book that I was caught by. Look at what it says. It's on the screen in front of you. He said, ministry is never what you imagine it to be. No matter how diligently you study, how devotedly you seek God or how faithfully you serve, there will always be surprises, some good and some that are not so pleasant. I'd add my amen to that. I've been at this thing. I've been preaching, I guess, now about 24 years. And I'd say that's right. I said to my wife, I said to one of our deacons this morning. Ministry gets harder every year. Every year. But as I got looking at that statement, I thought, you know what? I could change one word and it would still be true. Life is never what you imagine it to be. No matter how diligently you study, how devotedly you seek God, or how faithfully you serve, there will always be surprises. Some good and some that are not so pleasant. Am I off base there, beloved? Would you agree with that? That statement? You think about life. I mean, I think about when you're young. I think about when I was young. We have grandiose thoughts of what we're going to do and how we're going to change the world. Think about that old Statler Brothers song. I like the Statler Brothers. The class of 57 had their dreams. You remember that one? But God's in charge of our lives. And God's at work to make us like Jesus. To grow us, to mature us. And it takes the happy classes and it takes the hard classes. And God is working to grow us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. But here's what I want to encourage you with, beloved. Our headmaster, our father, God is good and he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving. And he really does. He really does want the best for you. He really does have your good in mind. And we we can't understand it. And we look at it and say, how in the world can he bring good? But he's God. And so he's working. And beloved, that's true not just in the huge crises that come in our lives. Because sometimes we say, oh, oh yes, I I know that When, when we have... Huge crisis. We we say, oh, God, he's in control. But can I just say today, God's in control of every aspect of your life. I want to close with this thought. It was I was reading. I read widely and read a lot of different things in prep. But 
man by the name of Stephen Cole, he was writing a sermon on this. Here's what he said. Recognize and submit to God's hand, listen, in the daily events of your life. Things don't just happen to you. You haven't had a spell of bad luck. God arranges your circumstances to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. He says we all tend to see God's hands in the big crises. But listen, we need to see his hand in the little irritations. You had any little irritations this week? Had any? No, parents, don't look at your children. Uh, Little irritations. Car trouble. Uh, The sick child that forced you to change your plans. Interruptions. Can I get a witness to that? Interruptions. That, that's, you say, what do you do all week, preacher? I, I have no interruptions. But they're not interruptions. They're appointments. Divine appointments. Because God brings these things in our life. Here's what he said. He said, I find that if I will recognize God's hand in those things, those little irritations, and I submit to him, I can grow through it. But if I grumble... I'm regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord and I'll miss the opportunity for growth. And I thought, well, Lord, is that one of the reasons that we keep having these little irritations? It's because you bring it in the curriculum and we refuse to learn it. We're stubborn. And so it's kind of like summer. You might go to summer. Well, I ask that. You know, summer school. What's summer school? You didn't learn the lesson in the regular year. So now you're enrolled in summer school. I wonder sometimes if that's what God does in our life. He brings these things in our lives. He wants to grow us, and yet we refuse to grow. He didn't say, okay, I give up on you. No. He says, I love you, my child. Here's that lesson again. Let's see if you get it this time. Of course, he knows. He's God. We don't get it that time. So guess what he does? He says, well, here's that lesson again. Here's that lesson again. I thought, well, Lord, maybe that's why I repeat so many of these things. Here's what I'm getting at today. Thank God for the thrilling times. Thank God for the tough times. Don't despise God's work in your life. Know that He loves you. Know that though you cannot understand it, you can't wreck it in your mind, you can't figure it out, you'd never choose it, that God is in control of your life and He really is working to make you like His Son, sweet Jesus. Rest in that. And open yourself up and say, when those problems come, those little irritations. What if we turn those into prayer points and said, okay, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this? Because his goal is to make you like his son, the Lord Jesus. And that takes tough times. And that takes thrilling times. But praise the Lord, he's in charge of both. Father, we don't understand much of what we see. We don't understand why this storm has hit our coast and other countries. We don't understand the devastation that we see. We don't understand our loved ones being diagnosed with diseases and sicknesses and illnesses. We don't understand the crime that we see. We don't understand all these things. We know they're a result of the fall of man. We lived in a sin-cursed world. But, Lord, we don't understand how you're using these things. But we choose to trust you today. Father, our lives are filled with little irritations and problems and trials. They're a part of your plan. You allow them. 
And you want to take them and you want to use them. And also all these glorious happy times. So we acknowledge we're not worthy of those either. We don't understand how we could take those of us who are rebels and shook our fist in your face. And make us your child. And grace us with heaven. And make us a joint heir with Christ. But you do. And so, Father, I pray that you would help all of us to really open our lives up to you and allow you to do a work in our lives where there will be true spiritual growth and maturity. Lord, like we've never... Lord, I'm afraid to even pray that prayer because our, our, our lack of faith, our fear. But Lord, as you bring these things in our lives, I pray you'd help us to cooperate with you and open ourselves up and say, Lord, teach me. Help me to learn the lessons. Make me more like the Lord Jesus. And then, Father, I pray if anybody's here today and they don't even know the Lord Jesus, they've never been enrolled in the school. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and bring them today that someone could take a Bible and share Christ with them and lead them to the cross. Have your will and way accomplished, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, we're a moment or two over. It took 20 years for Jacob. Can you give another few minutes today of God's working in heart and life? This altar is open today. If you need to be saved, just come. I'll be down at the front. I'd love to lead you to the cross today. But the majority of the message is for brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you need to come today and you need to pray. Maybe others need to come pray with you. I don't know what you're facing, all of you, but God does and you do. Come give that to God and say, God, I, I, just, I don't know what you're doing, but I, I submit to you today. I trust you today. I give my life to you. I, I want to learn the lessons. I choose to trust you. Help me. As we sing number 258, 248, 458, 458, nearer my God to thee. The altar is open, 458. You stand and come today. Come as God leads you, nearer my God to thee, 458.